Epiphany Church in Ligonier, Pennsylvania. All glory, laud, and honor to our Redeemer King. Good morning, everyone. This is Pastor Brian, excited to begin our first Holy Week together in our new digital format. On a normal Palm Sunday, we'd be waving our palm fronds and singing hosannas and otherwise having a rip-roaring start to our Holy Week. And 10 minutes later, of course, after that, we would be reading the Passion narrative together and as a collective congregation, we would shout together, crucify him, crucify him. I do hope, friends, that this Holy Week is one that you'll remember for some time. Most of us are at home and holed up and away from our families and There's no Easter ham or deviled eggs to mark the holiday with. Uh, Perhaps this Holy Week is a unique opportunity that allows you to do some business with Jesus. In fact, we're going to start off this podcast with a brief silence together where we can collect our thoughts and prepare to engage afresh with the highs and lows of Holy Week. Stay tuned at the end of this podcast for uh, the big announcement on our plans for Easter Sunday. Let's prepare our hearts for a service of morning prayer today with a short period of silence. Dear brothers and sisters, from the beginning of Lent until now, we have been preparing our hearts by repentance and self-sacrifice. Today, with the whole church, we herald the beginning of the celebration of the Paschal Mystery. On this day, our Lord Jesus Christ entered Jerusalem and was welcomed as King with palms and shouts of praise. Today, we greet Him as our King, though we know His crown was a crown of thorns and His throne was a cross. Therefore, I invite you to follow our Lord this Holy Week, from His triumphal entry through His suffering and death to the glory of His resurrection. Would you pray with me, please, as we begin our time and our Holy Week together? Assist us mercifully with your help, O Lord God of our salvation, that we may enter with joy upon the contemplation of those mighty acts, whereby you have given us life and immortality. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Almighty God, whose most dear Son, went not up to joy, but first he suffered pain and entered not into glory before he was crucified. Mercifully grant that we, walking in the way of the cross, may find it none other than the way of life and peace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Good morning, church. This is Bob Broadbent. Our Palm Sunday reading comes from Luke 19, verses 28 to 40. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say, This, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, 
the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. And throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. This is Bea Sweeney. Happy Palm Sunday. Let us confess our sins to God and to our neighbors. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done. And apart from your grace, there is no health in us. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Spare all those who confess their faults. Restore all those who are penitent, according to your promises, declared to all people in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may now live a godly, righteous, and sober life, to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Good morning, everyone. This is Miriam Siegfried. I'm reading the psalm for today. It's a portion of Psalm 31, verses 9 through 16. This is a prayer of David when he was in trouble. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am in trouble. My eyes are consumed with heaviness, and also my soul and my body. For my life has grown old with heaviness, and my years with mourning. My strength fails me because of my affliction, and my bones are consumed. I have become a reproof among all my enemies, but especially among my neighbors. My acquaintances are afraid of me, and those who see me in the street shrink from me. I am utterly forgotten. As a dead man, out of mind, I have become like a broken vessel. For I have heard the whispering of the multitude, and fear is on every side. While they conspire together against me and take their counsel to take away my life. But my hope has been in you, O Lord. I have said, You are my God. My times are in your hands. Deliver me from the hands of my enemies and from those who persecute me. Show your servant the light of your countenance and save me for your mercy's sake. Good morning, everyone. This is Laurie Hove. Happy Palm Sunday. Today I'll be reading to you the Passion of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Luke. Then the whole company of them arose and brought him before Pilate, and they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar, 
and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. But they were urgent, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, from Galilee even to this place. When Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean, and when he learned that he had belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him, because he had heard about him, and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at some length, but he made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him, and Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate, and Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day, for before this they had been an enemy with each other. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was misleading the people, and after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him, neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will punish therefore and release him. But they all cried out together, Away with this man, and release to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection started in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus. But they kept shouting, Crucify! Crucify him! A third time he said to them, Why? What evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were upset and demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked. But he delivered Jesus over to their will. And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming into the country, and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and the women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that have never borne, and the breasts that have never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him, and the criminals one on his right, and one on his left. This is the word of the Lord. On the road of life, there are passengers and there are drivers. That was the advertising slogan of Volkswagen, the car company, in the mid-90s. Who wants to be a passenger when you could be a driver? It's a simple dichotomy. 
There are two kinds of spurs in the world, my friend, says Tuco in The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly to Clint Eastwood's Blondie. You see, Blondie has just shot three assassins that came after him through the front door, but he turns around to find Tuco in the window with a gun pointed at him, and Tuco laughs. There are two kinds of spurs in the world, my friend, says Tuco. Those that come in by the door and those that come in through the window. There are two kinds of people in the world, says Gus Portakalos in my big fat Greek wedding. Greeks and people who wish they were Greeks. It's really easy to divide the world up into two types of people. It's a figure of speech that's been around in our language for some time. We're still using it today. There are two kinds of people in the world, says Britney Spears, those who perform and those who watch. And there are two kinds of people, people who chew with their mouths closed and uncouth monsters who need to go eat in another room. And there are two kinds of people in the world, people who put ketchup on their pizza and normal people. And there are two kinds of Pittsburghers, Pittsburghs who have, Pittsburghers who have cookie tables at weddings and people who aren't really from Pittsburgh. This Palm Sunday, I want us to explore the fact that all joking aside, there are really two types of people in the world. And while on a normal Palm Sunday we would have our palms, we would be meeting out in front of the church and then processing in together. We'd be reading the, um, the Passion narrative as we just did a little bit ago. While that would be a normal Palm Sunday, today we are connected and apart. Um, and so what I'd like to do instead is to get to uh, Palm Sunday truth, something that is worth our consideration. I'd like to, to narrow down and just look at one verse in particular from our Passion reading this morning. Just one verse. And I want to talk about how this idea actually gets at, um, how this verse gets at the idea that there really is are only two types of people in the world. Here's the verse I want to look into this morning from the Gospel of Luke. Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day, for before this they had been at enmity with each other. And, you know... If this verse didn't have to do with Jesus in this kangaroo court situation he's been put in, I'd say it was kind of cute, actually, right? That these two mutual antagonists kind of pal around and make up after being at enmity with each other. Um, we know about their stations in life. We know why Pilate and Herod might have been enemies. We don't know for certain if there was a specific circumstance that set things off. But uh, it does make sense that Pilate and, and Herod would be um, enemies, and here's why. Let me talk about Herod first. This Herod in our reading, this this Herod we're going to talk about, his full name is Herod Antipas, and the text tells us that he is a tetrarch, meaning that he's a ruler of a kingdom that has been split into four different provinces, and he's the ruler of one of those provinces. And Herod, you see, had a, had a super dysfunctional family, and, and there's a lot going on behind the scenes. But, but here's what you need to know about Herod, is that when the Romans invaded and conquered Israel in about 63 BC, um, they didn't just sort of tear Israel apart. They left it together as a nation and turned it into a vassal state. So they remained a state, but they paid tribute to Rome, and the Roman Empire occupied their state. They had garrisons of their soldiers there. And the Romans, being the victors, they said, look, we're going to appoint your next king for you. We're going to put a king in place that's going to be pro-Rome in everything that the king does. And so they do. There was, a, there was a king set up, just like David or Solomon or King Saul from the Old Testament, and that would be our Herod. It would be his father. His father was set up as the king of Israel uh, to be a puppet king that the Romans could control. 
uh, when Herod's father dies with the blessing of the Roman Senate, uh, the kingdom of Israel is split into four geographic regions. And each of Herod's four children, three sons and a daughter, get to take over a specific part of the region that was formerly all under the king's rule. And so he leaves the kingdom to his four kids, and Herod Antipas, our Herod from the reading, is given the region of Galilee in the north. Not the most prestigious position, but our Herod was not the firstborn child. In fact, Herod's older brother um, got the region of Judah, including Jerusalem. This was the more prestigious, the more populated, the bigger area. And so one of, one of Herod's brothers took over the, that area. But here is the issue. Here's where things get complicated. Herod's brother, the one in charge of Judah and Jerusalem, he was terrible. He was terrible at leading and being an administrator and ruler over that area. He's known for desecrating the temple, for causing riots. He's destabilizing the region with his antics. He's messing things up. So much so that the Romans come in and say, all right, Herod's brother, you are out. You are being replaced. And they set up a string of their own governors to rule the region instead. So Pontius Pilate, right? Um, he is the Roman governor of Judah and Jerusalem and the surrounding area. And that job used to be Herod's brother's job. And if Herod's brother was removed, doesn't it make sense to ask maybe one of the brothers to take control over this family kingdom? But no, we don't have Herod, our Herod, taking control of more area. We have the Romans putting their own leadership in. And so uh, the Romans are taking away this family tradition of ruling the country and doing it themselves. Now, that's part of the history behind the story. But, you know, Pilate himself doesn't help in any meaningful way. We've been in the Gospel of Luke now for a year. And so I can refer you to a moment when some people come to ask Jesus, about a, a current news situation and ask his commentary on it. Um, we read that uh, at one point in, in the past here, uh, some Galileans, again, people under Herod's jurisdiction, had made their way down to Jerusalem to celebrate a feast day. They've made a religious pilgrimage. And for reasons, again, we're not 100% sure about, um, the, we know from context that Pilate does not treat them very well. In fact, uh, they are killed in Jerusalem. And they're killed in such a way that their blood mingles with the blood being drained from the animal sacrifices that they would have made in the temple. And uh, so what that looks like is, is Herod, right? He has jurisdiction over Galilee. Herod has his people go to Jerusalem on a religious pilgrimage, and Pilate is responsible for their death. So Pilate killed some of Herod's pilgrims. And the, the, whether it's the death of those, those pilgrims, the family history, the jealousy from Herod about the position, it's not at all surprising that these two rulers would be at enmity with each other. But the good news is, <laughs> good news, but something happens in our reading that changes the situation. By the end of our reading today, those two political and regional, regional frenemies, as it were, are reconciled. The enmity between them is lifted. And we know about that because we read our reading today from Luke's gospel in the, the first half of Luke chapter 23. Here's how our reading starts. Jesus is brought before Pontius Pilate and charges are leveled against him. And we know because we've been in the gospel of, of Luke for some time now, we know that these charges are false and malicious. 
The crowds say that Jesus advocated for a tax rebellion. False. That Jesus set himself up as a rival king to Caesar. Also false. And then they try to say that Jesus incites rebellion in the region of Galilee. Third time, false. But when the name Galilee comes up, Pilate's ears perk up. Because Galilee is Herod's jurisdiction. And it just so happens that Herod had made his own pilgrimage to Jerusalem for the feast. Herod is in Jerusalem. He's in town. And so Pilate says, this matter does not belong to me. I don't want to deal with it. Go take it to Herod because this man is a Galilean. Jesus is taken to Herod and the visit's actually quite brief. We know Herod has been you know, interested in seeing Jesus from all the way back in Luke chapter 9. Uh, back then, we, we read, actually, Luke tells us that Herod hears about Jesus in his ministry and says, I would really like to meet this guy. And in fact, now in Luke chapter 23, Herod gets his wish. He gets a chance to see and talk and interact with the teacher, preacher, healer, exorcist, miracle worker from his own region. In fact, Herod's kind of excited because he thinks he's going to get a show. Herod's in charge. People are scared of him. If Herod sort of lays on the pressure right, then maybe, just maybe, Jesus might do a miracle or two. And this is, by the way, one of the more theologically accurate scenes from Andrew Lloyd Webber's musical, Jesus Christ Superstar. It's a bit of an earworm, um, but, but King Herod's song actually gets to this point really well, right? Um, what does Herod sing in the musical? So you think you're the Christ, you're the great Jesus Christ. Prove to me that you're divine. Change my water into rhyme. That's all you need do. And then I'll know it's all true. Come on, king of the Jews. Thank you. Cabin fever. I, I, forgive me for the singing, but I, I hope you were entertained. Um, but Jesus responds to this demand for a magic show, this demand for entertainment. He responds to it with silence. He just doesn't engage. And that silence, it actually enrages Herod. Herod is not okay with it. And so Herod's guards start to abuse Jesus. The same crowds who have tried to accuse Jesus before Pilate are accusing him before Herod now. And Herod is just kind of sick of the whole thing. So what he does is he goes through his wardrobe and gets an old robe that he used to wear, an old kingly robe out. And and he makes Jesus put it on. And then he remands the batter back to Pilate. Um, There's one scholar who noted just the absolute dreadful um, seriousness, uh, the sadness of, of this whole scene, that the true Messiah of infinite power stands in front of Herod, and all Herod can do is greet that power with derision and mockery. I mean, it is truly a difficult thing that we're seeing take place. And so Pilate, who had hoped to sort of pass the buck over to Herod, his plan doesn't work. And after some serious back and forth with the crowds, after releasing an actual insurrectionist and rebel and murderer back um, in this sort of mob-fueled prisoner exchange, um, Pilate relents. Um, Jesus, despite Pilate's repeated accusation that nothing has been um, done that merits this, to satisfy the crowds, Pilate relents. Jesus is handed over to be crucified, and sadly, that is how our reading ends. But, you know, sort of dark silver lining here, Jesus is crucified, but now Pilate and Herod are friends. Um, It doesn't matter whether the issues were political or familial or just plain old jealousy. Bygones are now bygones. Both Pilate and Herod 
rulers at enmity are now friends. It was sort of quite the joke to dress Jesus up as this rural preacher wearing king's robes. It must have made the crowds quite angry, right? Because it was clearly Herod didn't take any of their complaints seriously. And he's mocking them, he's mocking Jesus, and Pilate must have gotten a good laugh out of it. Um, but I think there's, there's a lot more going on here, in fact. I think um, that this joke of Jesus wearing the king robe and being passed back from Herod to Pilate I actually think there's something pretty serious going on here. In Acts chapter 4, in fact, um, we're going to read, I'll read it to you in a second here, but there's a a passage which actually refers to this moment where Pilate and Herod become friends. In Acts chapter 4, shout out to my people involved in the Kerygma Sunday School class, you'll remember this reading. In Acts chapter 4, Peter is preaching a sermon to the Sanhedrin, right? And this is uh, the religious council that oversees the worship of the temple. It's the religious council that practices um, and and sort of helps Jewish faith be practiced appropriately. Um, It it is, in fact, a lot of the members of the crowds who are advocating for Jesus's death are a part of, um, they're a part of the crowds. They're a part of the Sanhedrin. These are the same groups of people. Uh, And Peter goes and says, you know, hey, look, this Jesus is back from the dead and we're doing miracles in his name, and this Sanhedrin committee says, okay, well, we're going to let you go, but just, like, don't talk about it anymore, or else we're going to have to arrest you again, and Peter and and, and John are like, yeah, we're not going to do that, and they say, well, we're going to beat you, so don't do it again, and they let him go, but anyway, after reprimanding Peter, um, Peter and John go back and meet with their fellow Christians, and they fill them in on the details, and the group of Christians break out into a prayer. I'm going to read this prayer to you now. Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, and this is a quote of Psalm 2, why do the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together people against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both, and here's the relationship here, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And these Christians go on to ask and pray for boldness. The original Christians, then, they they took this vision of Pilate and of Herod coming together. They took this vision of them coming together and said, this is a fulfillment of what Psalm 2 was talking about. Everyone... Pilate, the Jews, uh, the Sadducees, Herod, everyone in Jerusalem, they have all come together um, to reject God and to reject his anointed son. Um, That that is what is happening in our reading, that the Herod and Pilate coming together, the um, puppet king of the Jews and the emissary of the Roman Empire, they symbolize this great um, merger that takes place, this great merger of two worlds uniting in opposition to Jesus Christ's ministry. Um, that They represent the world coming together in a total rejection of Jesus Christ and his ministry and his um, role as the Messiah God intended him to be. You know, it would have been the quite, quite the rare thing in that time and place to see the Pharisees, right, this ethnocentric, moralist, um, rural uh, Jewish uh, expression of Jewish religion, and the Sadducees, the, the urban leaders of uh, Ju- Ju- Judaism who were kind of 
comfortable hobnobbing with Romans and, and hanging out at cocktail parties. And Herod the Tetrarch, a hedonist who wanted to be entertained, and Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor tasked with running a region known for its riots and anti-Roman hostility. And on top of it all, the crowd of everyday citizens in Jerusalem. They all come together. They are all on the same page on this one. They all come together and join forces to oppose Jesus and his ministry, either actively by advocating for his crucifixion or passively by just not choosing to engage and do the right thing and give Jesus a fair trial. So while there may be a number of different factors in Jerusalem on Good Friday, a number of factions, really there are only two types of people in Jerusalem on Good Friday. There are those who advocate and allow for Jesus' uh, death to take place. And there are those who are too afraid to speak up and do anything in support out of fear for their own life. The other distinctions, they don't really matter. Their, their theology, their politics, their ethnicity, it doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is that on Good Friday, there were the failed disciples and people who did not stand up for Jesus in any particular way to stop his uh, death from happening. And then there were the people who, uh, through commission or omission, allowed Jesus' death to take place. Those are the only two people in Jerusalem on Good Friday. Now, a lot has happened since the crucifixion of Jesus. We're talking about specifically, you know, spoiler alert, the resurrection, the ascension, uh, Pentecost, and we are given the gift of the Holy Spirit. The growth of Christianity from this small group in Jerusalem to a worldwide force for good, most of the time anyway. And I want to suggest to you that this two kinds of peopleism, this this very simple reductionism that the world is made up of two kinds of people, is alive and well. And and it's something that happens today both inside the church and outside the church, right? Um, because you know, if you follow the news, you know there are only two kinds of people uh, in in communist China right now. There are the faithful, um, those who are faithful to the Communist Party and who don't oppose it and sort of let it do its thing, and the, they, they let the government run with their authoritarian power. They're, they're, there's those kind of people in China. And then there are those who um, need to be excluded from all political and social power and be subjugated with an authoritarian iron fist. Those are the only two options if you are Chinese. You sort of fall in line and let the party be in charge or you are um, ruled with an iron fist and, and suffer all the consequences therein, like death in concentration camps. And really, there are, if you live in a Middle Eastern country, there are only two types of people. There are those who follow Islam in a matter that the community respects, and those who will be judged by Allah, and those who are worth waging sort of a jihad against, whether that's sort of social or violent. You know, I'm not a Middle Eastern expert, I'm not an Islam scholar, but you, you get my point, right? There are the people who practice Islam in the right way, and then there's everyone else. And there are two kinds of people in India, right? There are people who are part of my social caste, if I'm a member of a particular caste in India. There are people who are part of my social caste, and then there's everyone else. And I will ignore everyone else, and I'm just going to stay within my own social caste. And there are, are two kinds of people in the United Kingdom. There are, people, there are people who are very happy about Brexit and people who are not very happy about Brexit, if you follow the news. And, you know, our political system is not that far off. There are the kind of people who vote and act and, and advocate for the same political policies that I do. And then there are the wrong people, <laughs> everyone else. And there is increasingly little space for this sort of middle 
place in our political scene, right? And so we joke around that there are people who vote for a major political party and people who throw away their votes voting on the third party. And that's a joke. It's not true. Third party votes are fine. Don't take me for political advice. But that's a sentiment shared by many, right? There are people who are actively engaged and they vote for the political party and then there are people who just, you know, throw their votes away. But it's the outside of the world and it's inside of the world too. Maybe you've been a part of the church that says, you know, hey, there are only two kinds of people in the church. There are people who claim to be Christian and then do the bare minimum. And there are people who are actually Christian and they invest and they volunteer and they do this sort of hard work to keep the church in order. And they're the real Christians and everyone else isn't. And maybe you've been part of a church that says there are two kinds of Christians. Those who have a charismatic experience in which they've spoken in tongues and and been given that miraculous gift and people who probably aren't actually Christians, who don't have a baptism that means anything. And that's a very uh, common thing to hear in in more Pentecostal Christian circles. And there are those who follow the Scripture's command to love their neighbor through systemic investment in social justice matters, and there are those people who, who clearly don't understand what the Bible means. There are those two types of people. And there are two types of Christians. There are those who are sent to the Westminster of Confession of Faith, and there are those who aren't smart enough to realize that that's what the Bible actually teaches. And then there are, there are those who want to be part, who are part of the Ro- Holy Roman Catholic Church, the one true body of believers. And then there will those who will have to answer to God for not joining the Holy Catholic Church when they see him face to face. And there are those who like the contemporary music, and there are those who need to get with the times. And there are those who are liturgical Christians, and there are those Christians who don't give a lick about the importance of church history or tradition at all. Um, this way of thinking, this sort of there are two kinds of people. There are There's a very simple line we can draw in the sand between the right people and the wrong people. We do it in our church. We do it outside the church. We do it with our family. We do it with our workplace, even in, in the hobbies and the things that you do. I once met a young woman who was a swing dancer, and she was part of a community of swing dancers. And she said to me, you know, there are really two types of swing dancers out there. Those who want to stick to sort of the traditional old school, like pre-war jazz swing music. And then there are those who want to dance to the new swing dance music with big bands and, you know, neo-swing revivals. And I don't know what that means. I'm just telling you what she said. And she said, look, I'm in the traditional school. And it frustrates me that everyone around here doesn't respect the history and the tradition of swing dancing. And why can't they just enjoy the older, purer music? Why can't we just be happy with the way things were? Why do we have to keep innovating all the time when the old stuff was just as good and works just as well? And friends, I wish I could tell you, as I do sometimes, where I sort of lay things out and and, and sort of kind of twist things at the end, I wish I could tell you that this way of thinking was wrong. I wish I could tell you that God has some other way of thinking that we should consider. Um, I wish it wasn't so stark, so line in the sand, so, you know, in and out, inclusive, exclusive. But the reality is that through the Bible, um, we have a metaphor, we, we, we have story after story that says, you know, um, we may not be good at using this kind of thinking, but God certainly uses this kind of thinking. God does indeed engage with the world through this sort of line in the sand, two types of people kind of thinking. Because in God's eyes, there are only two types of people in the world, the righteous and the unrighteous. And and the Bible does use other language to, to talk about this, right? Maybe you've heard Uh, parables in the Bible about sheep and goats or wheat and weeds or seed and chaff. But at the end of the day, God articulates that there are only two types of people in the world, the righteous 
and the unrighteous. The righteous and the unrighteous. And at first, you may be tempted to sort of say, well, okay, Brian, that's fine. We know, Brian, there are only good people and bad people in the world. We get it. And that, friends, is not the distinction we're talking about here. That is not the distinction. We're not talking about good people and bad people in the world. Um, We're talking about the righteous and the unrighteous. A righteous person is a person that God has no problem with, right? Um, A righteous person is someone who God looks at and says, okay, well done. Keep doing what you're doing. No need for improvement. You're on track. An unrighteous person is a person um, with whom God has a bone to pick. Um, that God says, look, I'm, I'm watching your life and you are not doing it right. You're not sort of living this life as it was intended and following my best practices for how to do this. And we need to work through this because I'm not okay with that. And as of Good Friday in the year 33 AD thereabouts, um, a great problem is revealed because the Herods and the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the, the Pilots They are all joining together on one side of the line against the only righteous person to have ever walked the face of the earth. How is God going to save the world uh, when the world is populated exclusively with one righteous person? How is God going to save the world when the world is almost exclusively, except for this one person, populated with unrighteous people. When the Herods and the Pilots and all the people of the day, they're all joining forces to slander and execute the one single solitary figure to have ever walked across the face of the planet um, without God's disapproval. What does it look like to save the world when it is so far gone? And when there are only two types of people in this world, the righteous and the unrighteous, and there's only one righteous person. What does it look like? Um, When we say that there are only two types of people in the world, the righteous and the unrighteous, we're talking about the division between Jesus and everyone else. And this Holy Week, we're going to watch um, everyone else in Jesus' circle abandon him. And uh, they will either abandon him, execute him, or bury him. Um, And this will be the one righteous person to have walked the face of the earth. The one person that God has no beef with. It is perhaps the biggest test of God's patience and love in the whole of Scripture to navigate this three-day window um, and keep his love for the world and his passion and his need for justice in place. What is God going to do with a world full of unrighteous murderers who could see the righteous die and be okay with it? What are we going to do with the culpability of Jesus' execution on our hands? Um, Friends, I don't have time to finish this story today, but I do have time this Holy Week to share with you what God does. Let's follow through this story to the end of Holy Week and see what God has in store. In Jesus' name, amen. Hello, Epiphany. This is Greg Davis reading the Apostles' Creed. Many of us know this creed by heart. If you know it, feel free to say it along with me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. 
The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Hello, Epiphany. This is Miranda Jackson with Coco, and I'll be reading The Collect of the Day. Almighty and everlasting God, in your tender love for us, you sent your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, to take upon himself our nature and to suffer death upon the cross, giving us the example of his great humility. Mercifully grant that we may walk in the way of his suffering and come to share in his resurrection through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Good morning, everyone. This is Tim Landy. Today, I get to lead the prayers instead of leading the congregation in music. Would you pray with me, please? O God, our King, by the resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ, on the first day of the week, you conquered sin, put death to flight, and gave us the hope of everlasting life. Redeem all our days by this victory. Forgive our sins, banish our fears, make us bold to praise you and to do your will, and steal us to wait for the consummation of your kingdom on the last great day, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We also remember those on Epiphany's prayer list, the Walker family, Raven Citron, the Jackson family, the Mechick family, Taylor White, Ligonier Camp and Conference, Pine Springs Camp, and those among us who have asked for anonymous prayer. Almighty God, we entrust all who are dear to us, especially those on our prayer list, to your never-failing care and love for this life and the life to come, knowing that you are doing for them better things than we can desire or pray for. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Lord Jesus Christ, you stretched out your arms of love on the hard wood of the cross that everyone might come within the reach of your saving embrace. So clothe us in your spirit that we, reaching forth our hands in love, may bring those who do not know you to the knowledge and love of you for the honor and glory of your name. Amen. Almighty God, you have given us grace at this time and with one accord to make our common supplications to you. And you have promised through your well-beloved Son that when two or three are gathered together in his name, you will grant their requests. Fulfill now, O Lord, our desires and petitions as may be best for us, granting us in this world knowledge of your truth and in the age to come, life everlasting. Amen. As we close our time together this morning, here are a few announcements. First, if you hadn't heard this week, Epiphany's Vestry authorized and put in place a way for you to give a tithe or offering online. And so you can go to epiphanyligonier.org slash giving 
for more information on that. Second announcement is that our own Dennis Sweeney has set up a community fridge for anyone who would like to continue helping his egg sale on behalf of a local family. So next time you're in town, swing by the garage behind 314 East Main, our church office, and jump in, grab some of those farm fresh eggs for you and your family. They're $3 a dozen, it's honor system. Be sure to wash your hands afterwards, keep those germs from spreading, but our egg sale is indeed continuing. Feel free to grab some for yourself. And our third announcement, um, you know, part of the fun of podcasting is having the audio from Epiphany download straight to your phone without having to go surfing the web to find it. Our podcast is now live on Apple Podcasts for iPhone users, Google Podcasts for Android users, and Spotify for anyone who's a music lover. If you subscribe to our podcast on any of those platforms, then the audio programming from Epiphany will be immediately available on your phone when the new episode launches. Final announcement. What are we going to do for Holy Week? How in the world are we going to mark what is undoubtedly uh, the most important holiday season of the entire calendar year? First off, let's get this out of the way. No Monday Thursday service this year. I mean, it seems really silly to commemorate the events of the Last Supper when we can't be together to celebrate communion. Also, don't expect an audio version of that service either. I've been putting my energy elsewhere, and I'll tell you about that in a second. Next, let's talk Good Friday. Stay tuned this week for a series of devotionals from the Station of the Cross, the historic Good Friday devotion practiced by Christians across the world. There will be audio devotions arriving on the podcast, which is why you should subscribe to the feed, and they'll be available up until this Good Friday for you to listen to and use as a reflection. You can either listen to them throughout the week, or you can save them all up and listen to them during a quiet, reflective time on Friday, whichever option is best for your coronavirus schedule. Also, if you don't have any Good Friday plans, I'd encourage you to consider a fast from dinner on Monday, Thursday to dinner on Good Friday. Or maybe you could fast from sunup to sundown on Good Friday. And we fast, friends, to remember in prayer all of the hard things that this virus outbreak is causing in our own community and across the world. I'll share with you that it's my intention as the pastor to fast on Good Friday to keep you and our community in prayer. And I invite you to consider joining me in that fast this Friday, too. Okay, finally, let's talk Easter Sunday. One of the big projects I've been working on behind the scenes is an Easter Sunday solution that honors the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the community of believers that rightly worships him while keeping in place the very important social distancing guidelines required by public health officials. After weeks of planning and partnerships with eight other churches, permission from local government officials, assistance from our local Giant Eagle store, and the Valley AM 1620 radio, guess what? You know what? I actually have the sound power here. Let's get a drum roll going. Okay, here we are. Where's the drum roll? Come on. Here it is. Okay, ready for this, everyone? Easter Sunday, we're going old school drive-in theater, and we're going to gather together in our vehicles for an Easter service broadcast that will be live over the radio for you to hear and participate in. Friends, Epiphany will be joining at least eight other churches in the Ligonier Valley at the Giant Eagle parking lot on Sunday, April 12th at 10 o'clock a.m. for a gathering that is equal parts the assembly of the saints and keeping social distance. Join us as we meet in our vehicles, windows up, appropriately distanced, and we're going to all tune in to a new radio signal that will broadcast a service officiated by some of Ligonier's finest clergy. 
Friends, this will not be pre-recorded. It will be a live worship service with prayers, a homily, and scripture readings all taking place in the southwest corner of the parking lot. We're still working on the technical details to put it all together, but I am so excited to give the church, uh, the whole church in the town, the opportunity to come together in worship, even if we are still distanced in our vehicles from each other. It's still a great opportunity for us to come together and to worship Jesus rightly. Um, because, well, who else do you know who's conquered death? Who else do you know who's risen from the dead? Instead of the usual sign-off today, I'm going to leave you with a song. 30 out-of-work musicians with the 1026 Music Group in Nashville sent in their own individual a cappella recordings of the hymn, It Is Well. And the recording studio took all 30 of those recordings and put them together into this beautiful arrangement. And, and friends, these are jobless musicians, and they're all singing together about their trust in the Lord. They're all Christians, too. Um, they're singing It Is Well, facing the uncertain future ahead, not having any work or income. Um, friends, it made your pastor cry. So here's the song, friends. God bless you this week. This is Pastor Brian reminding you that all shall be well. All shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. Go in peace.
Pennsylvania.